Amen. Well, let us pray and ask God's blessing upon us as we seek to understand better his word, what the spirit is saying to the church. Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge this morning that you are God, that you are exalted above the heavens, you are exalted in the earth, that you are exalted in this place. Pray that you are exalted in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would come by your Spirit and, and touch us, Lord. Convict us where we need convicting. and Comfort us where we need to be comforted. Forgive us, Lord. Perhaps for some of us, this is the first time in a week that we have given attention to your word. And yet we trust in your mercy and your grace to us that though we have forgotten you, you have not forgotten us. And you have once again brought us to this place to remind us that you desire for us to know you even as we are known. So come now and teach us afresh the glories of the kingdom. Teach us, Lord, the beauty of Christ. Show us once again what we have in him, how we might live according to your kingdom. So gracious, so merciful, so loving, and so kind. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith, the one who makes all this possible, who makes it all worthwhile. To him be glory and honor and praise, now and forever. Amen. We've been making our way through the gospel of Mark. This morning, we've come to Mark chapter 8, looking at verses 1 through 21. In reading through the Gospel of Mark, if you haven't noticed it already, might I remind you or share with you afresh that the message of the Gospel of Mark is the message of Christ, and the message of Christ is the message of the kingdom of God. You don't read in the Gospels, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you don't read in the Gospel the message that Christ has come to deliver, the message of who Christ is and what Christ is doing. You don't read it without reading of the kingdom of God. You don't understand it until you understand that all Jesus is saying and all Jesus is doing is manifesting, is reflecting upon, is explaining, is exposing to the world, is bringing to bear the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So the kingdom of God is the key. Christ preached more and taught more 
and demonstrated more on the kingdom of God than anything else. In fact, all that he did was a reflection upon the kingdom of God. And so to look at Christ and what he is teaching, to understand his his miracles, to understand the encounters that he had with various people, is to understand the nature of the kingdom and what the king is doing to manifest the kingdom of God on the earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is the issue. And as we've seen before, so we'll see again in this passage here that Jesus is revealing once again some glorious aspects, some glorious aspects of the kingdom of God, which he has come to reveal, which he has by his grace and mercy brought us into. We see this morning that the kingdom of God is a feast. When the Bible reminds us that Jesus came into the world to bring life, John 10 and verse 10, they bring life, and that life is to be an abundant life. And you see this in in what Jesus did. You see this, that he brings life in that he raised people from the dead. All the accounts of Jesus raising people from the dead is manifesting to us that Christ has come into the world to bring life. But he didn't just come to bring life, but the Bible says he came to bring abundant life. And so you see that in the other miracles that Jesus is is doing. For it's not only that he raises people from the dead so that he wants people to have life, but Jesus wants them to have abundant life. And so he heals people. He heals them of their diseases. He heals them of their demonic possessions. And he feeds the hungry. Because it is not just life that Jesus desires for his people who have come into the kingdom to have. But the kingdom life is not just life. Kingdom life is abundant life. The miracles of the feedings remind us that the kingdom of God is not just about living, but it's about living to the fullest. It's about finding fulfillment and satisfaction in Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus came around, death lost its power. Death lost its victory. Jesus doesn't come around a dead person and that person remains dead. Whenever Jesus was brought into the presence or encountered a dead person, Jesus raised that person to life. But not only does death lose its power and death lose its victory, but when Jesus comes around, so too does hunger. Nobody goes hungry in the presence of Christ. Because he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly because the kingdom of God is abundant life. And so this morning, as we look at our text about Jesus feeding of the 4,000, let us see that it's not just a miracle of him feeding thousands of people with a relatively small amount of bread and fish. 
And let us not see simply that Jesus is doing here a kind deed to some people who were hungry. And let's not simply be amazed at our Lord's uh, ability to see a need and meet it. Rather, the Bible would have us to look at all those things and look beyond those things. And we see the kingdom of God come to earth as it is in heaven. This morning, the kingdom of God comes He comes to us by way of a feast. The kingdom of God is a feast. It is a feast that is lavishly presented by God, who is our God and our King. We see in this passage that the kingdom of God is a gracious feast. It's a gracious feast. For the kingdom of God comes to those who are in need. It comes to the undeserving. It comes to the, it comes to desperate people in a desolate place. And you see that because now Jesus, it's, this crowd has been with Jesus for quite some time and it's been gathering. The Bible says they've been with Jesus some three days. Thousands and thousands of people are following him around, listening to him teach and even watching perhaps and perform some miracles. They've been, in, they've been with Jesus three days. Walking. Talking. But not having much to eat. And Jesus looks out amongst these people. And what he saw... He saw their desperation. He saw that they were hungry and he saw that they were growing in their hunger. But he not only saw their desperation, he saw that they were in a desolate place. Like the feeding in chapter 6, this was a barren place. It was a desert place, a wilderness where little, if anything, was growing or survived. And Jesus saw these people who were desperate in a desolate place. He looks out over them and he says, I have compassion. I have compassion. He looks out amongst them and he is moved with compassion. He is moved with pity. He is moved to look upon them to have mercy upon them because they are a desperate people in a desolate place. Now you listen to those words and you should be amazed. We should always be amazed at the compassion of Christ. Always be amazed at the compassion of Christ. For you notice that Jesus does not owe them food. They started to gather with him. There's no promise. Well, if you come and follow me in three days, we're going to have a feast. I'm going to feed you. Just hold on for three days. They don't 
don't come and gather around Jesus because there's a billboard that says, come and we're going to have a picnic and we're going to have a feast and there's going to be food. And after that, you're going to behold the miracle crusade. There's no promise of food. And Jesus doesn't owe them any food. Not only does he not owe them food, but notice, they didn't ask. They didn't ask Jesus for food. It's not like the crowd was pressing upon Jesus and coming upon his disciples and saying, hey, you guys got something to eat? You guys got something to eat? We've been following you for three days. We've been walking around with you for three days. You could at least offer to feed us something. But notice that Jesus does not owe them food and they do not ask to be fed. And yet in spite of not owing them food and in spite of them not asking, Jesus looks out upon them and he is compassionate. He has compassion for them. And over and over again in the scriptures, we see that this is the motivation for Jesus in his ministry and the manifestation of the kingdom. It is the compassion. It is his grace. It is his, his mercy. In chapter 1 and verse 21, when he's dealing with the leper, it is his, his compassion and mercy that moves him to heal the leper. In chapter 5 and verse 19, when he's dealing with the demoniac, the man possessed by a legion of demons. It is his compassion, it is his mercy, it is his grace that causes him to move upon that man. Later on in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, the Bible says that Jesus looked out among the sick and the helpless. And again, he had compassion. Because this is what constrained him. His grace and his mercy toward desperate people in desolate places. You know, grace and mercy are not strange things to God. They are who God is. For he is mercy. He is gracious. God is compassionate. He is a gracious king desiring to bring to people a gracious kingdom, serving them a feast of grace and mercy. Who he is. James chapter 5 and verse 11, the Bible says that God the Lord is full of compassion. In Lamentations chapter 3 and verses 22 and 23, we are reminded that the, like, that the mercy and the compassion of the Lord never ends. They are new every morning. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 4 and 5 that in the richness of his mercy and compassion, he has loved us. And this is the reason why we have been made alive in Christ because our God is compassionate. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, the Bible says that we are saved not according to the works that we have done, but according to God's own mercy and compassion. In Romans chapter 9, 
In verse 23, we are reminded that if we are the elect of God, then we are the objects of his mercy. If we have compassion on whom he will have compassion. And if he has had compassion upon you, if you have been the object of his mercy, it is not because he owed it to you. It's not even because you asked. But because he looked at you as a desperate person in a desolate place and he says, behold, I have compassion. You know what compassion means? Passion means suffering. Calm means with. To have compassion on somebody, it means that you are willing to enter into their suffering, to suffer along with them. Why did Christ come into the world? Because God desired to enter into our passion. He looked upon the sin of the world. He looked upon your sin and my sin, and he said, Behold, I have compassion. And he entered into our suffering. Surely, the Bible said in Psalm 23 and verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy, compassion, will follow me, will pursue me all the days of my life. Why? Because if I have come into the kingdom of God, I come into a gracious feast, a feast where the king has set before me a compassion, a feast full of his grace and his mercy. So you see, Jesus, in reminding us this morning that the kingdom is a feast, reminds us first and foremost that it is a compassionate feast. It is a merciful feast. It is a gracious feast. But not only is it a gracious feast into which you have been brought, beloved, it is a miraculous feast. It's a miraculous feast to feed those in need. How does Jesus do it? Well, again, as he had done previously, so he does on this occasion. He miraculously gives them bread. We know that this is not new. But God has always and continually desires to feed his people. This is not the first time. This is not the first time in the gospel. This is not the first time in the Bible that God miraculously provides food for his hungry people. You go back into the Old Testament and you see it as Israel in the wilderness in Exodus chapter 16. Israel is in the wilderness and they have run out of food. They have been brought out of Egypt. And the Bible says that God brought them, that God gave them, graciously provided for them manna, bread, as it were, from heaven. Miraculously provided. For their sustenance. In 1 Kings chapter 17, in verses 8 through 16, you see Elijah with the widow at Zarephath. As she is on her last bit of food, her last bit of meal. 
figuring that she's going to eat and then her and her son are going to die. And the man of God comes. And God not only provides for her and her son and for Elijah, but provides continually a feast for them. You see this also with Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 38 through 44. Elijah and his men have, 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 have stew and, few and food that is spoiled. And Elijah not only provides the miracle, God not only provides the miracle through Elijah of purifying the stew, but then when they find they have bread and not enough bread to go around, God miraculously causes the bread to be more than enough for all of the men gathered there with Elijah. And, of course, we saw it in, in chapter 6 where Mark, where Jesus on that occasion fed over 5,000 people. Why? Because this is the nature of the kingdom of God. And those who have been brought into the kingdom of God, not only have they been brought in graciously, but now they are being fed miraculously. And if you are in the kingdom of God, then you above all people should know that your daily bread comes not from your own hands, but your daily bread comes from the gracious and merciful and compassionate God, your Savior and your King. Every day you sit down to the table and feast, though you may not consider it, you might consider the miraculous nature in which God has provided one more meal. For you. But then consider if you've ever been in a situation like I have, you're wondering where the next meal is coming from. You're wondering where the next loaf of bread is going to be received and when and how. And then you should hear your king saying in Matthew chapter 6, Verse 26, look, look, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? God ushers into the kingdom those whom he loves and values. And if he values you, if he loves you, he promises that he's going to feed. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful testimony. Though the disciples, clearly they saw the first miracle in in Mark in chapter 6, and though they saw the first miracle, they must have thought it an aberration. They must have thought it just pure wonder because they still don't see how so many can be fed. So you look around. Jesus said he's had compassion on these and he wants to feed them because they're hungry. And if he doesn't feed them, if he just sends them away, surely the majority of them are going to faint. They're going to fall out. They're going to die before they get anywhere near food. Disciples look around at the crowd. They look around at where they are and they say, Jesus, how can one feed these people? with bread in this place. 
How can one feed these people with bread in this place? After all, after all, they only had seven loaves of bread. After all, they only had a few small, the Bible says, small fish. And unlike Mark chapter 6, they're in such a place, it would seem, that they don't even have anywhere to go to get the food, to get more bread. So they ask the question, how can one, how can one feed these people with bread in this place? How can someone? That's what they say. How can someone do this? Literally, they ask the question, who has the ability, who has the power? Who has the ability to feed all these people? Who has the power to feed all these people? Who can bring bread to such a desperate people in such a desolate place? Jesus looks at him and he says, I can. I can. Because, beloved, He specializes in the how can. How can? How can? Ask yourself the question. How can he turn water into wine? How can? How how can he calm the stormy seas? How can he raise the dead back to life? How can he feed over 4,000 with a few fish and a couple of loaves of bread? How can? How can he come and take away the sins of the world? How can? How can he bring healing to your broken marriage? How can? How can he give sleep to the sleepless? How can he give comfort to the lonely? How can he keep you from falling and present you holy before God in heaven? Ask yourself, how can anybody do these things and hear your king saying, I can. I can. He can. He can because God delights to provide for his people. No matter how, no matter when, God always, always provides. The psalmist says in Psalm 37 and 25, I have been young and now I'm old. He had not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children to be begging for bread. Why? Because he can, because he does, because he will, because he's compassionate. Jesus performs this miracle. They are able to feed these over 4,000 people. But notice that the miracle is not just eating. It is eating to overflowing. Because the kingdom of God is not just a gracious kingdom. And the kingdom of God is not just a miraculous feast. But it is a satisfying feast. 
For the miracle is not just the miracle of feeding the people, but it is the miracle of feeding to overflowing. For God delights to give his people more than enough. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's more than enough. Like the previous time, the disciples take up the leftovers with plenty to spare. From seven loaves and a few fish, they take up seven baskets full of leftovers. The baskets are full, and so are the people. Notice what it says in verse 8. And they ate and were satisfied. They ate and were filled. They ate and were full. They ate until they couldn't eat another bite. And after everyone had had their fill, they looked around and there was plenty to spare. Now, the feast of God's kingdom is a feast unto satisfaction and fulfillment. In other words, beloved, don't miss this. In the kingdom of God, everyone eats. Everyone eats. No one is left out. No one goes hungry. Everyone eats. You know, I grew up in a, in a large family, and some of you may have too. And when we were coming up, you always, whenever the meal was done, ever the, the food was on the table, you always make sure you were one of the first ones to get there. Because there's certain things that's going to run out. The bread is going to run out. The Kool-Aid is going to run out. And so you want to make sure that you get there and you jockey for position to make sure that you get some bread and you get some Kool-Aid. Beloved, in the kingdom of God, there is no jockeying for position. I have to push you out of the way in order to get to the Lord's table. Everyone has a seat at the table because there is more than enough. And you getting to the table first is not going to let you get more than I do when I get to the table last. When you come into the kingdom of God, what is yours is yours. No one can take what God has for you. In the kingdom of God, There's no jockeying for position. You know, when we come to the communion table, the communion table is a picture of the kingdom of God, is a picture of the feast that we have when we come to the Lord's table. And therefore, it's my firm conviction that when we come to the Lord's table, we should never run out. We don't be worrying about if we got a little left over. We got a whole tray full of cups. We got a whole loaf full of bread. So what? When you come to the feast of God's kingdom, there should be more than enough. You should always have leftovers. 
that we have wine and juice left over, that we have bread left over, is just a reminder to us that God feeds everybody and that nobody goes hungry. It's more than enough. Everyone should eat and drink with plenty to spare. For in the kingdom of God, the Lord never runs out. He never runs out of his righteousness. That's the real message there. He never runs out of his grace. Just because he has grace for your sister, just because he has grace for your mother, just because he has grace for your brother does not mean that he doesn't have grace for you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Because he has more than enough righteousness. He has more than enough mercy. He has more than enough forgiveness. And if you are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, Christ has more than enough. No one, no one should leave this place this morning thinking that they don't have the forgiveness of their sins. Because you can. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness... As long as there is somebody hungry and thirsty for righteousness, Christ has more than enough. He has more than enough. This is the kingdom of God. This is the feast that our Lord sets before us. It is a gracious feast, a miraculous feast. It is a satisfying feast. It is also a discriminating feast. Don't miss that. It is a discriminating feast. For there are those who have eyes and don't see, and ears and don't hear. After Jesus has fed the 4,000 people, the Bible says that he sends them away full and satisfied. He gets into the boat with his disciples and they head back over to the main country, back over, and when they get there, they're met by the Pharisees. The Pharisees come, and perhaps hearing all that Jesus has been doing and hearing of the miraculous way that Jesus has fed the 5,000 in Matthew and Mark chapter 6, and even maybe getting some of the testimony of this latest miracle in healing of these, uh, uh, the, the feeding of these 4,000. They come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, show us a sign. Show us a sign. Show us a sign that this is really the kingdom, that you are really the king. Show us a sign that you have come down from heaven. And Jesus looks at him and essentially says, no. Show us a sign, Jesus. No. For the feast and the kingdom is only for those who have been called. Only for those who have been called. So that the kingdom is not for those who seek a sign. The kingdom is for those 
who's seeking a Savior. Who's seeking a Savior. The Pharisees want Jesus to authenticate and substantiate what he is doing and, and who he is. If he has truly come from God, give us a sign. But this is not what Jesus has come to do. Jesus has not come to give a sign. Jesus has come to bring salvation. So Jesus warns his disciples when he gets back with his disciples. Oh, y'all beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of Herod. For, for their leaven, that which permeates their lives, was that of hypocrisy, that of self-righteousness, that of ambition. And he tells his disciples, you beware of that. You beware of seeking signs. You beware of trying to manipulate your way into God's good favor. Beware of that leaven. Beware of that hypocrisy. For the kingdom of God, beloved, does not come to the self-righteous. But the kingdom of God comes to those who know themselves to be unrighteous. The kingdom of God comes to the weak. The kingdom of God comes to the poor. The kingdom of God comes to the humble. And who enters the kingdom of God? Not those of the Pharisees and their mindset. But as Jesus says in Luke chapter 14 and verse 13, the kingdom of God is for the poor and the crippled, the lame and the blind. The kingdom of God is for those who are so invited, the ones who know their need and sense their helplessness and their unworthiness. These are the ones we saw last week whose eyes were opened. These are the ones who have been born again. And thus, as Jesus says in John chapter 3 and verse 3, they can see the kingdom of God. The Pharisees couldn't see the kingdom. Because all they were looking for was the sign. But those who see the kingdom are able to see beyond the sign. And they see the Savior. They see their unworthiness. They see their need. They see their sinfulness. They see their desperation. They see they're in a desolate place. When they say, God, I don't need a sign. I just need to be saved. I just need to be saved. Why? Because the kingdom of God, beloved, is spiritually discerned. Disciples hear Jesus. They hear Jesus say to them, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. But they don't have spiritual ears. And they don't have spiritual eyes. And so 
They began to immediately talk among themselves and to think that Jesus is rebuking them for not having brought enough bread with them. Yes, and they were low on bread. There's no excuse for that. They get in the boat, they only got one loaf. There is no excuse for not having bread. Jesus just unfed these thousands and thousands of people with these seven loaves. They got seven baskets left to take up. They get on the boat and they only have one loaf. There is no excuse for that. And they are right. They need to be rebuking themselves and asking the question, why is it that we only have one loaf? But Jesus has more profound truth to give them. He's not talking about the seven baskets of bread that's left over. You know, uh, my wife will tell you that when we sit down to eat, the very first thing I look for is the bread. I don't care how much, how lavish everything is, and it may be lavish. It may be a table full. The first thing I'm looking for is, where is the bread? So I can sympathize with the disciples. They look around and they say, we don't have any bread. And I'm looking at the table and I'm saying to my wife, honey, where is the bread? Now, She could. She could look at me. She's more kind than this, but she could look at me and she could say, well, you know, honey, men are not to live (laughs) by bread alone. She could get spiritual because that's what Jesus does. They're looking around and they're saying, oh, my, where is the bread? Jesus says, it's not about the bread that you're wanting to eat. He says, why are you still talking about not having bread? Stop seeing with your eyes. Stop hearing with your ears. Spiritual truth is discerned by those who are spiritual. The kingdom of God is discerned by those who have ears to hear, by those who have eyes to see. The kingdom of God are for those who it says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18, they hear with the eyes of their heart. They hear with the eyes of their heart. For there is a discernment that takes a, an enlightening of the heart where the heart is able now to see and the heart is able to hear so that what you're hearing and what you're seeing is not with the ears on the side of your head or the eyes that are embedded in your head, but you're hearing and seeing with the eyes of the heart. How do you know? When you have eyes with your heart, or when the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, you know, beloved, 
because you know that the kingdom of God is a feast that is spiritually understood. That's how you know. You know. You know when you understand that the bread is not just bread. You know when you understand that the wine is not just wine. You know when you understand that the waters of baptism are not just a splash in the pool. You know when you understand that the gospel is not just a story. You know when you understand that Jesus is not just the man. You know when you understand that he is a king, that he is a savior, and that you are in need of not the bread that comes from the oven, but you know that you need the bread that comes from heaven. That's how you know that he is the bread that has come down from heaven, that Jesus is the bread unto eternal life. How do you know? You know when you understand that you must have Jesus. That's all. That's all. Every moment of every day, you know that you want to feed upon him. You know that he is your source of your life. He is the strength of your life. You know him as your refuge. You know that you are able to look beyond the signs. You see the Savior. And everything in your life, whatever is going on, whatever is happening in your life, you are able to look beyond those circumstances, and there you see Christ orchestrating, providentially moving and shaping your life. You know you have eyes with your heart that have been enlightened. When you look and you see not just the problems, but you see the promises. When you see not just the failures, but you see the faithful one. When you look and you see not just the suffering but you see the compassionate Savior. You know, when you take the bread in your hand and you take the cup and you know, I'm not feeding upon this little portion of bread and upon this little portion of wine. I'm feeding upon Jesus. I need him. That's why we sing, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, because I want to see you. That's why we sing, bread of heaven, 
Feed me till I want no more. Bread of heaven, come down. Reveal yourself to me. Show me my need of you. Feed me. Feed me. O bread of heaven, till I want no more. This is the kingdom of God into which we have been brought. I pray if there's no one here listening to these words and only hearing a weak and feeble preacher, you're not hearing the Spirit of God telling you to trust Christ. I pray there's no one here as these elements are being passed that all you see is some bread and not enough wine in your cup. that you see the body of Christ, that you know his blood has been shed for you, and that that is your hope, and that is your stay. And once you eat it, you say to yourself, I can't wait to eat that again. More bread, more wine. Feed me, Lord, in your kingdom till I want. Let us pray. Oh, bread of heaven, bread of life, feed us, Lord. Feed us with a gracious feast. Feed us with a miraculous feast. Feed us with a satisfying feast. Feed us, Lord, with a spiritual and discriminating feast. Feed your people calls us to desire nothing more than we desire bread from heaven. Feed us till we want no more. In Jesus' name, amen.